Hi, and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani, and I am the host. This week, we have a special guest. We always have a special guest. <laughs> Her name is Miss Chris Putnam Walkley, and she's a leading thought leader in the world of philanthropy. She's the author of Delusional Altruism, a book on how can givers ensure that their giving really is more impactful, essentially. And I think this is very important for us in um, family businesses. The truth of the matter is that in Africa, most of us are givers. We may not see ourselves as formal philanthropists, but most of us are givers. And in on a continent where we see so much lack, how can we ensure that we get the bang for the buck, essentially? So tune right in and enjoy. Thank you. Hi, good afternoon, Chris. It's so great to have you. So great to have you here at Connection Generation podcast. So honored to have you here. Um, can you please introduce yourself so the listeners can understand um, your background? Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad to be here as well. Um, my name is Chris Putnam Walkerly, and I am a global philanthropy advisor. So I work with ultra high net worth families, family businesses foundations, corporate giving programs to help them really increase the impact and effectiveness, the clarity and the joy of their giving. And I do that through advising and through strategy development and strategy uh, implementation. That's incredible and such a really important topic that's um, for a lot of next gens philanthropy is something they're usually quite passionate about and over here in Africa we have a dire need for sustainable social change. So I'm really excited about this conversation to learn more about how can we give and make a more sustainable transformational impact on our communities. So you are the author of Delusional Altruism. Yes. Which is an amazing, amazing book. Can you explain what that is all about? Yes, absolutely. I just published my second book um, this year in 2020, and it's called Delusional Altruism, Why Philanthropists Fail to Achieve Change and What They Can Do to Transform Their Giving. And, um, you know, the premise of the book really draws upon my 20 years of experience advising all kinds of philanthropists. And essentially, the delusional altruism part means that, you know, in my experience, donors wealthy families genuinely want to make a difference, really want to have an impact on whatever issue or cause they care about, but are often getting in their own way. And they're getting in their own way and many times don't even realize it. And so they're preventing themselves from having the impact they seek. And so that's kind of the delusion. It doesn't mean that we're crazy. Uh, It really means that we're not recognizing, we have misguided beliefs uh, that hold us back. And so the first half of the book is really how that happens, seven sort of manifestations of delusional altruism. And the second half of the book is what they can do differently um, to be um, more transformational in their giving, as you just mentioned. Uh, You know, I really believe that we ought to seek to create transformational change in the world um, so that we leave it a better place. And, And often to do that, we need to transform ourselves as leaders, as philanthropists, as families, in how we give in order to create that kind of lasting change and impact. 
That's incredible. And over here in Africa, I think most of our giving tends to be quite informal on an individual level, as opposed to like family foundations. We do have family foundations and things like that, but most giving is um, informal um, with, you know, the high levels of absolute poverty that we face over here. So there was a study and I can't remember the name, but it was in 2017 that concluded that seven of the top givers in the world were African countries. And, you know, this whole message about philanthropy is so important because our intentions, we may have great intentions to change the world, but as you're alluding to, we need to get out of our own way to ensure that we see the true impact. So how do givers ensure that they don't create a culture of dependency? And this is really probably more applicable to less developed nations like Mm -hmm. I live in in Nigeria where lots of people come on a regular basis for assistance with living expenses, household rent, education and the likes but how do givers ensure that they're really able to make that transformative impact through their giving? Yeah well I think it starts with um, in many cases recognizing the power dynamic you know, and there's a lot of power in being a philanthropist, right? There's because you have wealth, if, if it's yours, your own families, or it could be, you know, you're the professional staff of a foundation or a corporation. So it's somebody else's wealth, but you're helping to allocate it. But there's always this power dynamic right there where you have, you know, the giver gives and the receiver receives. And so I think it's really important to recognize that um, and figure out ways that you can mitigate against that and to really um, help um, the people that you're seeking to help to utilize the power that they have and the voice that they have to be involved in creating the solutions, the interventions, the strategies that are needed to create the change. So part of it, I think, is just a, a recognition and a mindset of that almost inevitable dynamic and the things that you can do to, to try to transform that dynamic. Um, I think certainly, you know, from a both from like an international aid, you know, perspective where there's definitely that has been historically that dynamic of dependency or just, you know, a wealthy family that wants to make a difference in their community. I think it's about how you structure those, those grants. And I think it's always about involving the people that you're trying to help in the creation of, of what that solution is. So if you're seeking to, um, you know, uh, you know, help, children who are orphaned or who are otherwise vulnerable or have been abused to, 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 to get educational outcomes, or you're trying to help women who are um, dealing with malnourishment with their children, or you're trying to help domestic violence survivors, whatever it might be, is thinking about how do you ensure that you're involving the people that you're trying to help, involving the organizations that, you're, that are um, providing those services and programs in the creation of whatever grant making strategy or philanthropic strategy that you have. So I think that's part of it. And then I think also making sure that you're providing people with the support they actually need. So there's too often in philanthropy, you know, donors will allocate grants in sort of one year at a time. They want all the money to go to sort of help people and aren't willing to pay for the infrastructure of the nonprofit, the leadership, the talent, the technology, the uh, development, the governance, 
the strategy, like all that important stuff that we recognize as business owners are important, but we also need to recognize that that's important in the non, in the NGO sector and the nonprofit sector as well. And, you know, they really need to have the infrastructure and um, capacity that they need to do their work well. They need the confidence of having multi-years of funding so they can plan and hire appropriately and um, develop their own diversity of funding. That way you're kind of through, through your grants and your funding and support, you're allowing those organizations to not be so dependent upon you and the handouts, but to really strengthen themselves so that they can support and strengthen the people that they are trying to help. Incredible. And um, mindset is something that's so critical, right? And it's like a filter that actually distorts and affects our reality. And in your book, you speak about how scarcity mindset can contribute towards this delusional altruism. And there's a quote you, that you wrote that I love, frugality rarely leads to social change. Right. Which, I, right. which I find really ironic because the whole premise of philanthropy is based on generosity. But, you know, juxtaposed against that can be a scarcity mindset. Can you explain that a bit more? Yeah, it is really ironic because, again, if philanthropists have nothing else, they usually have access to some kind of wealth. And um, but but many experience this scarcity or poverty mindset, uh, which you wouldn't really expect. But really, it's this um, it's really this belief. It's it's not unlike, quite frankly, businesses where there's this you know, notion of saving, you know, where can we cut costs, but you can't save your way into growth as a business. You know what I mean? You have to invest in yourself. You have to invest in your own, whatever it is, innovation, business development, uh, R&D, technology, your people, retention, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so similarly, if you apply that lens in philanthropy, as I was mentioning earlier, you really do need to uh, invest in your in starting with yourself as a philanthropist. I, you know, too often we feel often guilty for having mm-hmm. access to wealth when others don't, especially when there's a wide uh, disparity, uh, inequity of of income and wealth. And um, you know, we believe that if we're going to be generous, like all the funding should go to help other people. We can't yeah. possibly invest in ourselves. Like that would somehow be bad. And by investing in ourselves, I don't mean in like private jets or, you know, like fancy office furniture. (laughs) I mean, you know, like investing in your own learning, really taking Mm -hmm. the time, doing a needs assessment, really understanding the issue that you're trying to support, identifying best practices, taking the time to visit, you know, when we can visit again, uh, other organizations or leaders or models or best practices, uh, making sure that we do have the technology that we need to be able to work remotely if we need to, whatever it might be. So really starting with yourself and embracing what I call an abundance mindset and recognizing that, um, you know, uh, we have to be, to, to have the greatest impact in the world, we need to be the best philanthropists we can be. We need to really build our philanthropic muscle. But too often, you know, we have the scarcity mindset and that, you know, it manifests itself in a lot of ways. Sometimes it's believing we're too small to make a difference. You know, I'm just this one family or this one company we only have this amount of money, we can't possibly, the need is so great, you know, we can't possibly make a difference. Um, Or, you know, just believing that, um, you know, the nonprofits that you're supporting, again, don't deserve to have what they need. Uh, They should just be scrimping by, staff shouldn't be making very much money. Um, But it doesn't really make sense because the, 
the needs are so great and the kinds of changes mm. we want to create in the world are, are so important and they really do require investment. And I really believe it starts with a mindset. It doesn't necessarily even mean giving money away. It could be give it, freely giving your time, uh, mm. really thinking about all the access, all the assets that you bring as a funder. And, um, you know, you don't just have money, but you have connections. You might have cultural understanding. You might know local um, you know, the, the mayor of the town and you could, you know, help that nonprofit or non-governmental organization like navigate through political um, issues. Uh, you can open doors for people. You can introduce them to relationships like banking relationships and things like that, that are, you know, very generous. Again, it's an abundance mindset. Like how can I bring my full self to support these issues and causes? Mm. And this abundance mindset, I think is such a challenge, you know, over here in Africa where we have so many triggers and indicators, reminders of lack. Mm-hmm. And actually last week's podcast episode, we had a wealth coach on and she was explaining that she believes that the reason why we haven't seen as much generational wealth as we could do on the continent is because of this scarcity mindset. And so my question is, how can, you know, givers, donors develop this abundance mindset in spite of being reminded by so much lack? You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I think it really comes down to um, a belief system that the more you put into whatever your own operation as a funder, your business, your family, your community, the more you put into it, the, the greater the outcome and to recognize that, you know, we're not all, we're not all doing this in isolation. You know, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of families of wealth. There are a lot of companies that want to give and support. Um, we're not in this alone. And I think especially in Africa, I mean, it, each country is a little bit different, but there's a lot of growth in philanthropy, I believe in the philanthropic sector. And there's a lot of leadership, And um, there's a lot of ways that I believe donors can collaborate and partner together and work not just with each other, but also with business, government, um, and, you know, and donors from around the world that want to help to, you know, leverage their resources, leverage their knowledge, leverage their relationships to create something much larger. Um, And so I think, you know, it's, it's really a belief system that we can do more with what we have and um, and really that we, you know, that we have to, I mean, it's really an imperative, you know, there's so, I think we've just realized the world has, you know, completely changed. And now there's really an opportunity, I believe to seize, you know, I think it's, there's a lot of that's going on right now. That's very scary, but there's a lot that's really exciting. And, you know, if not now, when, and really, you know, how do we seize this time as an opportunity to really change system structures, beliefs, um, approaches, if it's the education system or whatever it might be, or how we run our companies or how we uh, manage our philanthropy. Um, there's so much opportunity for change. And, you know, I think it's, you know, in some ways it's like glass half full, um, uh, example that really, you know, seizing opportunity and looking ahead and being agile, you know, which really means how do we, um, you know, for, look out into the future, the near-term future and see change coming or see um, challenges approaching us and how do we, 
how do we turn those around and seize them as opportunities for innovation and change? Uh, but that's, you know, that's a mindset. You have to believe that, um, uh, you know, not live in this place of fear, but really live in this place of abundance. Mm-hmm. Powerful. And the world has changed, as you said, especially with COVID-19, our world has changed so so much in 2020. Um, has this resulted in the change of needs globally? Well, certainly. I think it's really exposed the needs um, much more blatantly. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, I, I, like in the United States where I, where I live, um, you know, we've all been aware of inequities in education, um, both on a, you know, from an income level and also racial inequities in, in public education. And, you know, we've been a, kind of vaguely aware of the lack of, for example, internet access among many populations and rural populations. But, you know, there's never been a time before where like literally every parent has experienced, you know, remote education all at once with zero preparation. And so, um, you know, it's, it's super obvious, you know, the challenges that um, have been, that are, that exist. And it's, I think what's different with COVID is there's, I hope, you know, there's kind of a no going back, you know, you can't see this level of um, disparity and not want to recognize that the system we have is not working. Uh, And so, you know, obviously that exists around the world from from education perspective, certainly, but, you know, in other ways, obviously in healthcare and access to care, access to clean water, um, you know, the challenges that women have who are in, you know, violent relationships and being trapped, you know, all these things I think have just been super exposed. So, um, and, you know, the public health system, I mean, we could go on (laughs) all the needs that we have. Um, So, but I think it also has laid bare the problems in philanthropy because, you know, it just does not work, you know, too often funders want to create, you know, spend a year doing strategic planning. And then after that year, they, you know, have planned out for like a five-year plan. And then they spend, you know, another three months graphically designing and writing up a strategic planning document that, you know, is copy edited and whatever. So like 18 months later, they're finally ready to start implementing their strategic plan. Well, the world, you know, even in quote unquote normal times, the world would have changed. It's just too slow. And so, you know, if any, if this COVID-19 crisis has laid bare anything, it's the futility of spending a year to plan anything, right? Because the world's probably going to change again next year. And so I think, um, you know, and making these small grants, not giving enough money, taking six months to make a funding decision, making um, non-governmental organizations go through all these hoops and application and reporting and all this stuff, right? It's really a colossal waste of time. I mean, you need to do due diligence and you need to make sure you're funding an organization that you believe in and has good leadership that can do the work. But uh, it's really not necessary. And so many funders around the world have really rapidly shed those practices. They wanted to help. They wanted to help immediately. They began making, you know, grants, shifting from very tightly restricted grants to offering, you know, kind of core operating support grants so the nonprofits can use the money however they see fit to navigate through these times, removing all these restrictions and deadlines and getting the money out quickly. And it's been remarkable. You know, they made all these changes that many in the sector have wanted them to make for decades and they made them like in a week. So I think there's also a lot of opportunity for change there and a recognition that, 
you know, philanthropy does play a really important role in social change, but it needs to shift. And really, this is a lot of what my book, Delusional Altruism, is about, is shifting and changing how we give. Because how we give is getting in the way, and we need to do a better job. Wow. And in this crisis, what's the most important thing that philanthropists should be doing? I think the most important thing is adapting their strategy to uh, the new world that we're living in. So, you know, and this, this applies to philanthropy, business, you and I, everyone. I mean, ideally you have a strategy. And to me, strategy again is like, a, it's a decision-making framework. It's a framework that allows you to make decisions, day-to-day -day decisions that are congruent with where you wanna go. And I, I like to think of it as being like a sentient strategy, very living, breathing, flexible. You know, how do you, who do you wanna be as a philanthropist a year from now? What kind of philanthropic family do you wanna be? Or, or business do you wanna be a year from now? What kind of impact do you wanna have? Where are you today, literally? And then how, like, what are the two, three, four most important things that you can do that will take you from where you are today to where you want to be like, quickly. And so, um, you know, I think any strategy that existed pre COVID, you know, can't possibly remain intact. Exactly. That doesn't mean you toss the whole thing out, but it means mm. some things, you know, some things need to be tweaked. Some things stay the same. Some things should be abandoned because they're no longer important or working. Uh, and some things might need to make dramatic change. Uh, so to me, I think, you know, spending, and it's not a lot of time, it could be done in a couple of days or a week, taking out your, your strategy, looking at it, reviewing it and seeing, you know, what, what's the world has changed. So how do we change? Oh, um, how do we adapt? So I think that's the most important things that thing that funders should be doing right now. Mm. Being agile and adapting really. And do you see different approaches or any differences really between different generations? So millennials versus baby boomers, um, you know, a lot of next gens are millennials or Gen Z and founders in this climate, a lot of them are baby boomers. They have different approaches to philanthropy. Yeah, I do. I do and I don't. It's interesting. You know, the, the, I always take a little... I have some concerns with the uh, kind of pigeonholing people into different generations because yeah. it doesn't take into account like every other kind of difference, you know, like people who have grown up in poverty versus grown up wealthy people who yeah. have disabilities versus don't, um, you know, ethnic issues, like cultural differences, um, mm. personality differences. Right. So I, I tend to believe there's more diversity within a generation than there are across generations. But, you know, that said, I do think that you, you also can't argue with the reality that people grow up in different worlds, you know, like I have 10 year old twins. So they've been like swiping on an iPhone, iPhone since, you know, birth, practically. <laughs> right. It's all they know. They, you know, they think that, you know, they have instant access to everything and they can get information at the drop of a hat, which is cool. But it's different than how I grew up. And it's certainly different than my parents. Um, mm grew up, you know, listening to a radio and that was it. And so, um, you know, I think we, the reality is people have different life experiences generation, generationally. Um, I, I do believe that, you know, to, and a lot of the research that I've, sh I've seen is that, you know, millennials and um, Gen Z uh, are more conscious around like 
purchasing. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that a lot of the ways that they feel that they're contributing to social change is through their, how they are consumers. Yeah. And, the, and, and that has a lot of implications, I think, for business right now and really making sure that you are, um, have, a, have a clear purpose in your business that's beyond profit. You know, like people can't really rally around, like let's make a lot more money, but they can rally around, like let's create this kind of change and like making money along the way is great. <laughs> but you know, having a clear purpose. I mean, one of my clients is um, the JM Smucker Company, uh, which makes, you know, jellies and jams and uh, peanut butter and whatnot. And, you know, they, one of the things that they did recently was to clarify their company purpose. You know, it's a family company that it's, I forget what generation, maybe fourth generation led, uh, but, you know, huge company, global, and um, has really, you know, took the time a few years ago to refresh their purpose and engage all of their employees, not all of them, excuse me, but like a cross section of their employees across different functions and levels of experience and levels of seniority to get clarity. And, and that really informs so many, so many decisions of the company, including their philanthropic giving. And, you know, I think um, younger people, generations and consumers really think more about that than, you know, my generation did or my parents' generation. Mm, that's really interesting. And if there's, you know, a business family that's thinking of increasing their philanthropic impact, how do you recommend, you know, they can go about doing so? Well, um, it, there's a lot of different ways. I would um, actually come back to what I said earlier about having a strategy. And, you know, you could call it something different if, if that sounds too businessy. For philanthropy, but it could be, you know, kind of what's your giving plan or what are your giving goals. Um, but I would think about it as, you know, a way to engage, you know, it's to engage the next generation, um, which is important, as you know, and you, you, you talk about this all the time of how do you engage the next generation into family businesses and the dynamics and the roles, um, you know, age, you know, differences and challenges that that creates. Um, but you know, you really, I, again, using an abundance mindset is to is to seize this as an opportunity of engaging additional generations into your not just your business but your family's business, family philanthropy or business philanthropy, and you know, and to allow you know, it it always does depend on the dynamics of the family. You know, in some cases, the donor rules the day. You know, they rule the business and rule the family and they rule the philanthropy. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but, um, but you can also think about, well, what are all the causes and issues that, you know, everyone in our family or, you know, however you define family care about? And, and you can implement that in different ways. You know, there's kind of what do you want to do and then how do you want to do it? Those are two different things. So mm. if there's three or four or even like 10 different issues or projects that are important, like that's okay, you know, identify what those are and figure out what are the different ways that we can be supportive. And probably most importantly, how can we learn along the way? Because again, you know, think about your end game, you know, you could be a philanthropic family across generations as well. And so how do we as a family learn from our experience? Um, you know, one of my friends actually is the family, um, 
the, that is the owners of Gojo Industries, the makers of Purell. And they're a very philanthropic family and they have a couple different foundations, family foundations. And one of them is really the, the purpose of it really is to bring the family together, to give together and learn together. So one of the ways they do that is they each, every three years, they pick a different issue. They, you know, come to agreement on an issue that's important to all of them. And they only focus on that issue for three years and they learn a lot about it and they decide which organizations to support and they support them for multiple years. The organizations know that this is not gonna go on forever. Like it's gonna be, you're gonna get two or three years of funding and that's it. But they really, they've organized their philanthropy in such a way that they, um, you know, they wanna help, you know, genuinely help support this issue or cause, but they also want to learn and come together and allow philanthropy to help build their family culture and um, their connection among them. Incredible. And I've got a last question. So if there's a business family that's thinking of formalizing their giving and starting a foundation, do you have any tips for them in how, you know, any, you know, any tips to ensure that they do so in a sustainable way? Yes, that's a great question. And I would say a couple things. One is, um, uh, you know, there's lots of ways to give and you don't actually have to create a foundation in order to give, which is a, it's a great way. But, you know, when you create a foundation, you're creating a nonprofit organization that you then have to manage and make sure you're responding to tax and legal issues and whatnot. And of course, every country is a little bit different. Um, you can also open a donor advised fund, which is a different kind of like a charitable checking account uh, at an organization, either a community foundation or at, you know, a, a, a large institution like Fidelity Charitable or Schwab Charitable. Um, and you can simply have a corporate giving program if you're a company. Um, so there's, there's different vehicles. Uh, so one is just to know that, um, and there's kind of pros and cons of each. So know that you have some options. But even more importantly, I'd say don't, don't focus on the transaction, focus on the transformation. So it's very easy to, to jump into like, well, let's start a foundation and we have our articles of incorporation and now we, you know, Alec make some grants and voila, voila we're done. And I, I'd go back to thinking about what are your goals? You know, what are you trying to accomplish with your philanthropy? How does it align with your company or how does it align with your family values? Um, what kind of change do you want to create and use that end goal to guide your decisions about what's the best way to do that? Um, because there's lots of different you have options of how you do it, but mm -hmm. instead of starting with, and I talk about this in the book too, instead of starting with the how, mm -hmm. there's lots of hows of how you can approach something, start with the what, you know, what are you trying to accomplish and then figure out, you know, how do we do that? Incredible. Don't focus on the transaction, focus on the transformation. I love that. Thank you so much, Chris. That's been so insightful. Should anyone um, want to reach out to you, how best can they get hold of you? Yeah, thank you. So uh, two things. Um, one is I'm happy to offer uh, free consultation calls to any, um, any one of your listeners who wants to learn more about being philanthropic or any of the ideas that we discussed. Uh, and they can do that. They can just go to my website. It's called speakwithchris.com. Chris with a K, speakwithchris.com. And you can just schedule a free 45-minute you know, Zoom or phone consultation. And it's one of the ways that I'm trying to help as many philanthropists or 
people who want to become philanthropists, you know, during this time, especially. So that was one way. And then certainly if they would like to order a copy of my book, Delusional Altruism, uh, they can simply go to the website, shockingly called delusionalaltruism.com. <laughs> and it's available to order, you know, it um, uh, depends on where in the world you are, how long it'll take to get there. I'm not quite sure how long it'll take to get to your listeners, but uh, it's available on Amazon and lots of other um, online vendors. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. That's been really insightful. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yes. Take care. Excellent. Excellent conversation with Chris. I really enjoyed that. I think there's something magical about skill. And I think that's really why we must master this art of transformational giving is that impact typically doesn't grow linearly, but exponentially. Just as we Christians say, one puts a thousand to flight, but two puts 10,000 to flight. If we have pockets of, you know, small scale informal giving, um, it won't have the same transformational impact as larger scale systematic philanthropy. And I think we as a continent need to start going on that journey, formalizing our giving becoming more systematic in our giving and we can pool our capital particularly as business families um, to shape our nation and our continent in a transformative sustainable way and covid has had um, a huge impact on the continent um, there have been studies from african philanthropic forum through surveys that have shown that the economic livelihood impact of COVID-19 is much, much worse on our continent. And so we see greater food insecurity, greater malnutrition, and there's need to provide economic supports to vulnerable communities. And so this topic is really important. So I'd recommend getting Chris's book if this is something that interests you and getting in touch with her. Thank you so much for tuning in and God bless you.